Welcome. It is the Run to Daylight podcast. I'm your host, Todd Burrows, Todd from PA. And I am joined today by Matt Schauf of Draft Sharks. And uh, we are doing a best ball study hall. Basically, the theory behind this is that, as I was just explaining to Matt, a lot of times you feel like you know things better than you do. And it's so fun to draft that you just start drafting and then you can go three months and you're not studying like you should be, Matt. Yeah. And I, you know, the reason I'm on here is not only I appreciate all the info that you bring, cause we've had you on our podcast a few times, but you're yeah. one of the few guys in the industry that pronounces my last name correctly. So I had to come and respect that. Yeah. And I got it right the first time. That's right. What do people, what do people say? Oh, they say everything, anything you can imagine. Schaff, Schwaff. I mean, it was much worse when I was younger and people would call with official calls and teachers say it on the first day. And I just like answered Schwab. Yeah, show. Schwab. I, I mean, my the first the very first fantasy article that I turned in that was not for the newspaper I was working at. Somebody the editor actually changed my name to Schaub in the article. I was like, I'm pretty sure I got my own name correct. I am not the yeah. Falcons quarterback. Yeah, like, <laughs> that, 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 like I'm sure your editing skills are really top notch, but <laughs> I don't need you to like edit my name. Um, well, I you know I just kind of think of you as random draft sharks dude number two. <laughs> like there's like six of you. You're all really good at what you do. And the only one I could pick out of a, a lineup is Krautwurst. <laughs> if I had, you know, the hair in reverse, I think I would probably stand out more as a caricature like Adam does. Well, what were, you know, again, I, I, I started this new concept, which is called Best Ball Study Hall. And basically, I, I don't even care how many listeners I get, how many followers I get. If anyone joins in right now, no one is. Basically, I feel like to get better, you have to self-critique, right? Mm -hmm. You have to know what your own strengths are and what your own weaknesses are. And my weakness is that I love to draft and studying is kind of a pain in the ass, <laughs> right? So what I thought of for this year is to invite people to come study with me, whether it's a guest like yourself or it's the listeners. And hopefully this catches on. I, I understand right now people aren't really in off-season mode. Mm -hmm. But um, the goal that uh, we're going to have you on for the AFC and we're going to have your buddy Jared Smola on to do the NFC over the next week or two. And the goal here is to just set a baseline of our understanding of these teams and the opportunities. If there's one thing I learned this year it's that, you know, again, it's opportunity and understanding opportunity. I had a 30% pass-through rate in best ball, but I don't feel like I had a real good year in picking players. So I, I think really digging in and having kind of like a tight group of people who study together, because the, the worst thing is your biases, Right. I, you know, and my big bias this year were two players, and they both killed me. Uh, well, I had a good year, so they didn't kill me. But imagine with the year <laughs> that I could have had if I had more than 3% Cooper Cup, mm -hmm. and if I had more than uh, about 4 or 5% Leonard Fournette, right? And the one thing I want to focus in even more this year is 
being more open to the concept of talented players earning more opportunity. Like you look at Leonard Fournette, they added Gio Bernard, Ronald Jones was there. It, it, it's just so easy to say, what a mess, let me just avoid it. But if anyone was going to break out in that backfield, it was going to be Leonard Fournette. So that's one of the key, you know, I'm kind of laying out, you know, you talk about writing and, oh, by the way, congratulations on your nomination to, uh, you. uh, what what the hell was it that you got <laughs> nominated for? Uh, best fantasy football article of the year for Fantasy Sports Writers Association. But thank you. It is pretty cool. What was the article about? It was the Mike Davis article. I mean, I know that we went back and forth on Mike Davis a bit in the Draft Sharks Discord, and it was kind of like a, it was kind of like a concept article. I mean, I, I talked plenty about being against. I mean, my concept David. was that he wasn't going to pay off his ADP. Right, but I, and it was <laughs> it was even more than just Mike Davis because writing a big long article about Mike Davis didn't make a whole lot of sense because he's just a fifth round pick. But I, the thing that bugged me about Mike Davis, and it kind of goes into this stuff, is the concept of just taking the guy that looks like the top guy, even if you don't really like the player and if you don't know the situation is going to be very good. And I always connect him back to Toby Gerhardt when he signed with the Jaguars in free agency. And it was a long time ago. Now it kind of, you know, I remember I, I, about this. and, and I didn't, I didn't draft him too much because I just didn't think he was very good. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I keep going back to is opportunity is really good, but ultimately, if you're not effective, you know, especially at the running back position, they'll find somebody. And and I feel like Cordell was kind of hiding in plain sight the whole time, mm-hmm. but we were so trained not to see him that we didn't. And that's what I want to do more of this offseason is exactly. I mean, there's so much is projecting the players and the teams and you have to do that, but there is definitely room for thinking. San Francisco is another good example of a backfield. You know, we all look at the 49ers backfield and say, well, I want a Kyle Shanahan running back because that has been a good player over multiple stops. And what, you know, most people did was say, I'll take Trey Sermon at this point. I'll stack him with Raheem Mostert. I'll take both of them. I'll, I'll take one or the other. There were a few people who said, I'll take Elijah Mitchell late, but not very many. And that's kind of where I, I, you know, I don't think anybody was like, Elijah Mitchell is going to be a breakout running back this year because that, that wouldn't have been a good take at that point. He was, you know, at least behind Raheem Mostert. But I, I, sh- I think that I should have been able to say, if we like San Francisco running backs and we don't know that Raheem Mostert's going to stick it out for a season, we don't know that Trey Sermon's any good yet, then why not stash Elijah Mitchell late? And if he doesn't do anything, I'm dropping him soon. And it's the same similar thing to to Cordero Patterson. You didn't have to say Cordero Patterson's going to be awesome this year. You could say, well, I don't like any Falcons running back and here's Cordero Patterson free in drafts. So why not stash him and see what happens? That's kind of the other side is we we seek out opportunity and we just take chances on what might happen with that opportunity. But I also, the, to the talent point that you were making, that was a thing with Justin Jefferson a couple of years ago. And sure, there were people who were bigger fans of Justin Jefferson at, at fantasy draft time than others, but his ADP was into the double digit round. So there were very few people saying Justin Jefferson is going to go crazy. But we all knew that there was some opportunity with Stefan Diggs gone. We knew that Justin Jefferson was at least a good player. He was a first round draft pick. 
So that, you know, that's another thing where I can look and, back. And that's and the purpose, that was the mistake, right? is not betting on talent. And, and that's the purpose of this best. You played perfectly into what I was talking about and why I want to do best ball study hall is because it does challenge your biases, right? Mm-hmm. We're not doing content right now. It, 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 it's turning out to be content. Mm-hmm. But we're and and but we're not, I'm not looking to do content. I'm learning to share my studying and invite everyone else in to do it with me and to challenge my biases, right? And see, you look for edges in life, right? There's a lot of people who are really good at picking, you know, talent, right? Like I spotted Debo. I got Debo right this year, right? And I I went yesterday and in my best ball tournament. Of the teams that I drafted that I had a hundred percent ownership of, you know, what did what what do you think Debo probably had? Like a 20% win percentage, which equates to like if you consider pass-through rate, somewhere in the 35 to 40 percent range is what he averaged. Well, on 16 of those tournament teams, I got 10 of them through to the next round. So I feel like because of everything that I do in best ball, I have an advantage over other people that when I get something right, I'm going to get it right. Uh, And so one of my big things is I I always say I don't have more than 23% of everyone, of anyone, but I can take that 23% and really do something with it when I'm right. So the purpose of all this is to make me better at picking players. And what is my advantage? Well, my advantage is I'm willing to admit what I don't know. And we, you know, we all joke and we all, but we all see the guys on Twitter who are always right. And they, they can't admit when they're wrong. And, and, and you only see their tweets uh, when, you know, when they're, when they're right, you know, uh, and I'm right out there saying, I miss Cooper cup. I miss Leonard Fournette. I don't mind saying that I want to do something to help me not do it next year mm-hmm. right because if all the other things i'm doing right roster construction exposure blending supercharging teams with stacks and correlations if i'm doing all that stuff and i also have a good year picking players that's when you become dangerous so that's what we're trying to accomplish here um and so what we're going to do uh today Oh, and that one other thing I wanted to mention that you mentioned, thing that I learned this year, I was down on acres um, at his really high ADP. Who knows whether that would have been the right call had he not gotten hurt, right? Mm -hmm. But the fact was I was fading him, but I didn't have a lot of Henderson. Mm-hmm. To your point with San Francisco, I was fading Mostert and Sermon because I felt they were being drafted at a very optimistically in the sixth and eighth rounds, right? Mm-hmm. Now, Mostert might have been great had he not gotten hurt. Again, we'll never know. But Sermon was a, just a busted pick, right? And he was he, he was going way too early. I did have some Jeff Wilson shares before he got hurt, mm-hmm. but... I didn't take now it's harder to take an Elijah Mitchell or a Ramondre Stevenson in best ball because you really need, you know, with especially with 18 roster spots, you really need um something. 
you, you, it's hard to just throw one away on a spec, right. a, a completely speculative guy, especially if you're only going to draft four or five running backs. Mm-hmm. But in season long, to your point, you know, a guy like Cordell Patterson and, 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 and I guess the point is a guy like Mike Davis, back to your article, I would, I almost had none of him. I was convinced that, you know, yeah, yes, everyone who said it looks like he's the guy, he's going to have the opportunity. I just didn't think he had the talent. I, I, I was willing to bet against the talent, but my mistake was, you know, I took a few shares of who was that rookie that everyone. Davian Hawkins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I took a few shares of him. But, you know, we had seen Cordell Patterson run the ball effectively. And it finally, you finally got a head coach who was willing to give him the ball. And then the funny thing was, then they turned him into a two down back at the end of the year, which made no sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, any thoughts on that before we move on? Yeah, I mean, it, that's the kind of guy that I want to figure out why I missed. And I, I didn't. I, I took some Cordero Patterson, and he certainly, the few places where I had him, he put teams in contention that otherwise wouldn't have been. And I, he, there's, you know, a bit of a line from him to Elijah Mitchell. But yeah, that's that's my big thing is, is kind of what you were just saying is if I don't like a guy figuring out the if then figuring out the second Correct. part of that. If I don't like that guy, then what should I be doing there? And sometimes it's going to be avoiding it altogether, but other times, you know, you take some shots on something that might not work out. It's certainly easier to do when you have roster management in season, but even for best ball, I think there are some spots where we can uh, make it work. Absolutely. Especially with FFPC moving to 20 rounds, mm-hmm. it allows you kind of those 19th and 20th round dice rolls. Mm-hmm. I feel like a, what a, what most people are going to do with one of those two extra picks is take a third quarterback. I think you're going to see very few two QB teams. And I, I think that opens up some opportunity because I, uh, I was amazed as I, you know, you, when you advance in these tournaments and I had like 30 team, 31 teams advance. So I, I, I started looking through and I noticed and even my own teams, where I rarely would take like a Kyler with a Justin Herbert mm-hmm. or a Stafford with a Brady, you know, I wouldn't do that that often, but almost every team that I did it with did really well this year mm-hmm. because it, it, quarterbacks still putting up the most points each week. I think it opens up taking two early quarterbacks and not taking, you know, that, that you know, I, I wish I had the ability to study this because I'm too old and not good with numbers, but you know, how many points some of these late quarterbacks actually score? Mm. Cause you see it on, uh, on underdog, they show you how many points were actually used for each player. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a fascinating opportunity for study because I'm pretty convinced these, the, the you know, the, the guy who you're going to take as your third quarterback in, unless you've, you know, waited to take all three late. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I feel like if you take two decent quarterbacks, that third quarterback is almost never going to put up points. And especially now with those tournaments starting early, when we have the back half of the draft, a lot of players who need to land somewhere in free agency, rookies that haven't landed anywhere, it could definitely be even more fruitful to get two early-ish quarterbacks because we know where they're going to be. We know they're going to score. 
and then play around with what you would And they do tend to get hurt goal. less than other positions in the modern game mm-hmm. because they're so protected. All right, so let's get the screen going. So I think we agree that the, the key thing is going forward is to challenge our biases. All right, so now I am going to go to the Buffalo Bills, and we'll look at them first. All right, so rushing. Uh, Devin Singletary got 188 carries. Josh Allen got 122 at 6.3. So Singletary got 4.6. I also have over here uh, some notes that you were kind enough uh, to to, uh, to to share. Uh, we'll go through those. Only 96 carries, 26 carries. Um, and as your note says, Singletary became the workhorse over the last six games. What, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, do you think they add someone or do you think they say, I think we found our guy now? I mean, the thought I had today that I didn't have previously was why did it take this coaching staff so long to lean on Devin Singletary, even not just not as a workhorse, but just as their lead back. It's his third season with the team. I mean, and he, and he, and he played pretty well year one. Right. It's not like I thought he, I the mean, same thing. He's been limited, but he hasn't been a schlub. So I don't know why this season it didn't happen earlier. I don't think that he's a workhorse to that level. He had 20.2 opportunities per game over the final six, including the playoffs. I wouldn't bet on that over a full season. I do think that he showed enough late in the year that they don't have to consider that a priority in the draft. Now, what we've seen is that NFL coaches often don't think the same way we do. So maybe they look at Matt Breida and Zach Moss not working out and think we need to take an early back to pair with them. So that would be my hesitation. I'm curious to see where Singletary goes in these early best ball drafts. And yeah, you know, you know, as well as I do, Todd, we don't have to wait nearly as long now to find out how people are going to react. I wouldn't be surprised if Singletary opens draft season at a spot that's too high for my taste. Um, but I'll be curious to see where he settles. Cause there is, there is still some fragility to that role. I don't think he's a, a true lead back, you know, year over year. Yeah. But 188 attempts and 50 targets, 40 receptions, that's what makes it very interesting to me. And seven touchdowns, eight touchdowns, you know, TDs, as we have found, are the, the hardest thing to predict. My my initial thought is he's going to start going in the fourth round. Do you think he might go? And, and let's just keep it to FFPC with the tight end premium. Uh, do you think he's going to go earlier, like third round? I think fourth round is a good expectation. And the the receiving obviously helps him. What surprised me most, uh, the workload, you know, was surprising, but more surprising was the goal line work, which he suddenly got at the end of the year after, you know, two and a half seasons of the Bills treating him like he was allergic to the end zone. So if he keeps being their lead goal line back and their lead receiving back, he could pay off at a fourth round price. For right now, for starting out, I'd probably rather grab two other running backs in those first three rounds, maybe, and leave Singletary primarily to other people just to wait and see what the Bills do at the position. Yeah, I think that they're going to bring somebody in, whether it's a secondary kind of uh, guy or someone in the draft. In the, I, I don't see them spending a first or a second round pick on a running back. I mean, this isn't a class where you've got a top. I've watched the top three backs. I like them more than I thought I would. 
Mm -hmm. um, but it'll be interesting. Uh, my initial thought, and again, we're just doing place setting for now, right? Mm -hmm. We're just giving our general thoughts. My general thought is with you, but I will, you know, if I was going to play volume early and I'm not, I would mix in uh, Singletary and make sure I didn't miss out, but I would be happy being even or underweight on him, yeah. uh, but not by much. And yeah. I, I think that there is, because there is, you know, it, it's just will be interesting to see if, if his role, you know, to me in the right now, he's got a second or third round role. So you figure, okay, well, you know, so that's why I'm saying in the fourth round, it's a toss up. If I see him in the fifth round, that's where I think I would start pulling the trigger. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, may, you know, maybe he keeps getting work along the lines of Aaron Jones. Maybe he's Aaron Jones with a little bit less receiving. My, that my concern is that he's more Miles Gaskin and, you know, Gaskin looked like a workhorse last year for the Dolphins, and this year it was like, well, we got to do better than that this season. Yeah, the only difference is there's a little bit more um, equity with Singletary. Uh, Diggs' volume was down a little bit this year. I faded Diggs heavy in uh, this year. Uh, in general, I felt like the Bills were hyper-efficient in 2020, and I always – end up underweight on hyper-efficient teams mm -hmm. because often I feel like people are drafting people at their ceiling. It's kind of hard to argue with Josh Allen when you're looking at a guy who gets 122 carries, 763 – I mean, that, that you know, 763 yards That's and six touchdowns. I mean, that floor is just amazing. Yeah, you can't get away from a quarterback that runs that much and is successful passing. So even though he came down – on touchdown rate and completion rate, you know, he still led quarterbacks in scoring. He's the guy that makes sense as the top quarterback pick that I just don't end up with much because I'm almost never the guy taking that first quarterback. Yeah. I, I always tend to be with the guy who was the top guy the year before and had slightly down year. Uh, I always remember the year Russell Wilson got hurt and he dropped to like the ninth round on BB tens. And I loaded up, um, I loaded up and, you know, he, he didn't run the ball because he was hurt. Mm -hmm. uh, let, I do want to look at Josh Allen's completion percentage. Started at 52.8. I mean, you never see this. 52.8 <laughs> 58, to 58.8. 58, that's kind of normal for a second-year quarterback. That's not that accurate to go from like right around 50 to just under 60. You mm -hmm. typically need quarterbacks to be in the 62-63 range minimum. He had this unbelievable year, 69%. Drop back to 63%. I really feel the 63% is where he's probably going to live uh, for the rest of his career. And, and the other thing I found in my studying on completion percentage is that once you get through like the, the fourth year, what you see is what you get. You, you, you'll see a bump from year one to year two. Sometimes you'll see a bump from year two to year three and even a third year of a little bump. And then it pretty is stable from there on out. Yeah. And I, I'm not, you know, I'm not overly concerned. I agree that the percentage that we got this past season is probably closer to what we're going to get going forward. The thing that I guess bothers me a little bit more about his passing stats from 2020 to this season is a dip in yards per pass attempt. And this year's yards per pass attempt lines up with the first two years. So, 
you know, if that stays down, it could affect him more. Again, all of this matters less for Josh Allen than it would for most quarterbacks because he adds the rushing. But I, I think if you just look at the passing stuff, this past season seems more like what we should expect from him than what we got in 2020. And looking at 2020's numbers, they looked like, you know, high point numbers. Quarterbacks don't go over 6% touchdown rate every year unless they're Aaron Rodgers. And even he doesn't do it all the time. But everybody else hits 6%, then they drop down. They spend most of their time below that number. So the whole package is good. I would expect that the passing to be down a little bit. Stephon Diggs, you know, you said that you were underweight on him this past season. I I was a little hesitant on him because of the big leap, you know, from fifth round ADP to all of a sudden we're all sure he's the top three receiver because that's how he performed in his first Buffalo season. What stopped me from being underweight or, you know, opposed to taking digs where he was going was that 29% target share that he got in 2020 with the bills. That is elite target share. If a guy gets that year to year, he's Deandre Hopkins. He's Devonte Adams in terms of how, how often he's getting the ball that dipped a little bit to about 25.4% for digs this year. And it doesn't sound like a huge number, but you know that we're splitting hairs when we're talking about the top wide receivers and we saw it make him a bit more inconsistent just in terms of what he was getting week to week. So that hurt him versus last year. I'll be curious to see if he rebounds in that category, or if we're just looking at more like a 25% target share guy going forward. So if you look at his 2020 season, 166 targets, 164 targets this year. So he got the targets where he really dropped and it's more than just what you would in other words Josh Allen dropped from 69 to 63 but Diggs catch percentage dropped from 76 to 62 the lowest of his career i mean basically right back to his rookie year he lived in this middle range in the in the in the high 60s for most of his career i do think that this could regress back up but that is something and again the point of these study halls is to actually take the time and do it, right? To go through everything. His catch rate of 62.8, that jumps out at me. I agree. And it's worth noting that those catch rates that he had in Minnesota was with Kirk Cousins, who tends to be on the higher end of completion rate. So it's quite possible that he moves forward with a catch rate more like what we got from Diggs this past year. Right. And, and, and it kind of makes me less... So, you know, he was going around 111 to 23 last year. Mm -hmm. You know, it makes me a little hesitant with him, you know, even toward the end of the second round. I think he's fine if you can get him that late. I don't know that they'll make it that far. Be interesting to see where he comes out. When you look at the overall targets on the team, 164 for Diggs, 112 for Beasley. Uh, Sanders at 72, but he missed some time. Uh, Knox had 71, and everyone is, you know, going crazy over Dawson Knox. But um, you know, nine touchdowns that 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 could regress, um, and everyone's going to now be all over Gabriel Davis. It'll be interesting to see if they actually learned and play him more coming up this next year. Mm-hmm. I think he's a guy. Yeah, I mean, last get... year they let John Brown walk and then they went out and got a new John Brown, which was, of course, an old Emmanuel Sanders. So we'll see whether this year they're ready to let Gabriel Davis be the guy. I would think so. 
the question is how much that guy gets because it's been we haven't seen that guy for a full season with Stefan Diggs yet. So I don't know what the ceiling is on Gabe Davis. Uh, Jared asked on Twitter today where people thought Gabe Davis would go ADP wise in these early drafts and Sigmund Bloom answered round three, four. So Sigmund Bloom is I'm not interested in him until we get to double digit rounds. Right. I mean, I, I would, I'm, I would say I'm interested in the later single digits. I'm definitely not interested if it's three, four, even five, especially not this early in the offseason. We have questions left to answer. I mean, Cole Beasley's still I, around for me. I respect Sigmund, but I don't think he goes that early. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and again, if you look at it after Diggs, there's not a ton of room for him to get more targets, right? I mean, I don't see if, if you know, we're going to let's look over at the free agents and you see that uh, free agent wise, they lose. Uh, Sanders and Isaiah McKenzie, uh, both are unrestricted free agents. So um, that is kind of interesting. Um, and there's some speculation that maybe Cole Beasley is a cut candidate, but I'm not going to factor that into my drafting until it actually happens. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not going to be drafting a lot of Gabe Davis in single-digit rounds until we get more clarity. I don't think you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, the talent is certainly there. But I really want to see a pathway to, you know, 100, 120 targets. And I guess if they cut Cole Beasley, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they resign Isaiah McKenzie. Put me down for thinking they resign him. Um, they're not losing. Uh, their lo- Matt Breed is also a free agent, but, you know, he's just a, he's just a piece. I don't know enough about overall salary cap, but uh, just quickly looking... Beasley. All right, let's look at uh, let's look at Beasley. So dead cap only 15 uh 1.5 million but a 70 7.5 million cap hit. I mean, that's a pretty big hit when you've got four, you know, you can pay him 5 million or take a, you know, um a 7.5 cap hit with 1.5 million in uh Okay, I think this is what this means. I think if they wait till after June, he only costs them one point five. Mm-hmm. But if they cut him before uh, before that, it's seven point five. Does that? Yeah, and of course they have the tricks at this point where they can cut a guy early and they don't count him until June. I, I, what's their? Do we know what their cap situation is? Because I think that's. I think if they, I, I didn't do enough studying on what it should be. But we can mm-hmm. look at the active roster and see 125 million. So that to me, 199 with yeah. cap hit. I, I I think they have room. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that you know were. if we if they end up needing the cap space, that's where cutting Cole Beasley becomes a possibility. But I I don't think that they're in that situation. So until you know until I hear more on that, I'm gonna assume that Cole Beasley is with the team next season. And it looked like from that chart that they're about 10 and a quarter million under where the cap is for 2022. But I mean, to me, Beasley's a guy that, you know, he made himself an issue, <laughs> right? And then they really didn't play him as much in the postseason. I would say that that, you know, if we're going to lean, I'm going to lean, he's going to get cut. I'm going to lean that he's not there next year because when you make yourself odious, and you're getting older, and they can save some money by cutting you. Um, you know, I think 
you know, they could just wait and see how the draft goes. And then if you don't get one or two in the draft or in free agency, you keep them. But I'm going to lean that he gets cut. And before we do get away from the Bills, it's definitely worth noting that they're probably going to be replacing their offensive coordinator for the first time since 2018. I, I meant to mention that when we were talking about Singletary. Good call. Mm-hmm. Very good call. Yeah, so past four Hopefully years, he Brian goes to my Giants. <laughs> there you go. Are, are you a Bills fan? Aren't you all you guys from up that way? We are all from up here, but none of us are actually Bills fans, except for Adam. Adam's the lone Bills fan. I'm I'm oh, an Eagles fan, but at this point, I root for my fantasy teams much more than any NFL team. I've been that way for the last three years, but I think it's because I've been so bummed out. <laughs> you know, up until about three years ago, I'd make my DFS teams, and I would mainly watch – I wouldn't watch Red Zone. I'd watch the Giant game. Mm-hmm. And on commercials, I would bounce around uh, as I watched, you know, the games playing out on NFL.com. Mm-hmm. NFL.com somehow got worse. <laughs> I don't know how you, you, you know, it's almost impossible to follow your players on NFL.com now. Um, so I, I got much more into red zone. And the key reason was I couldn't bear to watch the Giants. I don't think I watched more than 20 minutes of the Giants this year. <laughs> Can understand that. All right. Let, so let's look at the Pats. Mm-hmm. So Mac Jones, uh, rookie year, only threw, 300, uh, he threw 521 passes, 67.6 completion percentage, 22 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. But I got to be honest, I, I think he looked worse than those numbers. I think it depends on which game you watch. If you could find games where he looked on and maybe it was just against soft opponents and then there were other games where he looked like a rookie, which I guess you're going to get as a rookie. I think overall I came away, I don't know, I guess impressed based on what he had to work with because even though they spent a whole bunch of money, they they didn't seem – they didn't build a, an impressive – passing offense uh, an impressive group of receivers so was the next thing i was gonna say there's just not much talent there right um there's money that was spent Uh, let's look at their free agents yeah and all you know the top four guys that they signed last year are certainly going to be around unless there are cuts leaving a bunch of dead money there but nelson Aguilar, they just signed kendrick Bourne, hunter henry and um, Johnu Smith all signed new last year. So those guys figure to be around for at least one more, if not two more years apiece. Jacoby Myers is a restricted free agent, so you have to pay him more if you want to keep him. And James White, um, I find it hard to believe that they will uh, bring him back. I think the one thing that the strength of that offense is the, the running backs. Mm-hmm. And I think they miss James White, but to sign him again, unless you get him cheap, I mean, yeah, look at these, the, the dead cap, 19 million on Hunter Henry, 10 million on Aguilar, 26.5 million on Jonu Smith. Um, I'm finally, uh, finally broke my Jonu habit. Jonu Smith is just the person that you see out on the dating market and they look amazing. And then you date them and there is just no substance there, I guess, because, you know, we all fell for him with the Titans. Then the Patriots paid him and we're like, all right, clearly they paid him to use him and nothing. I mean, that was a, a shockingly disappointing year 
of usage for Johnny Smith after signing that big contract. So I, I'm certainly not betting on him going forward either. All right. So um, let's look at the targets. So 126 targets, 83 catches for Jacoby Myers. That has to be the quietest 83 catches I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Mostly because it took him nearly all year to find the end zone. But yeah, I mean, look at just look at the guys that they signed and all the money they threw at him. You spend more than $100 million on those four players. And then Jacoby Myers gets 51 more targets than any of the new toys you brought in. So that shows me that they realize they misjudged all of the talent that they signed this offseason, except maybe Hunter Henry, but definitely. I, the I don't think they, uh, honestly, I, I think that Belichick saw Brady win a Super Bowl and said, I'm old and I, I want to compete this year. And they just took, uh, but the, I mean, it, I mean, they, they're, you know, you hate to say it. I, and, and there's a lot of people saying after they got blown out that Belichick is toast. Um, I don't think he's toast as a coach, but I think he certainly has been bad as a general manager. Um, Hunter Henry got 75 targets, 50 receptions, nine touchdowns. He could be overdrafted this year because of those nine touchdowns. Kendrick Bourne is an interesting guy, a guy that I had a ton of on underdog as like my my 18th round uh, run, a wide receiver. Because, you know, and he paid off nicely. The strengths of the team efficient, the, like way over efficient. Yeah, yeah, but but it's but a lot of that is because of his. He he's very talented. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it but yeah, only when he he gets an opportunity. So here's the most interesting thing: two hundred and two uh, rushes for Damian Harris, one hundred and thirty three for Ramondre. Just you know. I think Harris, I think uh, Ramondre has an opportunity to beat out Damian next year. But, um, you know, with both of them back, I think it's going to be hard to to settle on one of them. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that that's what we saw when they were both healthy. The, the carries per game are a little skewed by guys missing time back and forth. But I, I mean, I think 13 and a half carries per game for Damian Harris, 11.1 for Madre Stevenson, probably a pretty fair way to expect things to break down between them. Cause the Patriots, you know, should have incentive to run both of those guys. They're better at running back than they are at the pass catching positions. So I, why not keep running the offense the way that they did the past two years? And obviously, you know, with Cam Newton gone, they didn't go nearly as run heavy but they were still 27th in neutral situation pass rate, 45.9% uh, of the time they were passing, which is only a little bit less than three percentage points up from where they were with that Cam Newton offense. I think we, we should expect more of that. And it certainly makes all the pass catchers even less attractive than they are on their own. Yeah. I And, and see, here's one of those situations that we were talking about in our opening, you know, you see both of them, and therefore, neither one of them seems that interesting. But especially Ramondre, I'm going to be very interested to see where he his ADP is. You know, if it's in double digits, you know, I think you then get a floor that is worth it. And then if Harris goes down, you can crush. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm going to be very interested in both of these guys, mixing them in to my best ball teams. Um, because a, I don't think you're going to see any new running back, uh, you know, with so many other holes. 
it doesn't make sense for them to draft another running back. And if they do, he'll probably be a later one. Um, and I think Ramondre showed upside above what Harris has. But my point is, I think both of them have a decent enough floor once you get you know, to that ninth, tenth round. And then if one of them gets hurt, that's when you could re- – in fact, I wouldn't be opposed in best ball to drafting them together, depending on the ADP. And I think most weeks you'll get one of them giving you a floor game. And then if one of them gets hurt, uh, you know, I call it stack cuffing. And I only do it when you can get two guys later. So the only stack cuff I was interested in this year was Edmonds and Connor because I felt that both of them had a decent enough floor at their ADP. And then if one, and then one of them did get hurt and Connor went nuts for a couple of weeks. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because I was actually going to ask you that exact thing. Let's, I would guess that these guys will settle in at least in early drafting when there are so many unknowns. I would bet Damian Harris is somewhere around round six or seven and Stevenson is around round nine because Stevenson did show quite a bit, but going back to the preseason. And I think that there are others that will share your opinion that he has at least a shot at beating out Damian Harris when both of them are on the field. But I, I like the idea of putting them together, especially if you took one running back earlier, maybe two, and you fill things out with this duo. And I agree that the time that you do that with two teammates at running back in a best ball lineup are when one of them's not a zero, when you're getting something from them, even when they're both healthy and then, you know, an injury to either one can catapult the guy that's still healthy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And that's typically a stack cuff for me um, is typically when you can get the first piece in the sixth, seventh round, and the second piece in the ninth, tenth round. Yeah. And what activates it for me is when when I take that first guy. Because, again, if Harris is going in the sixth round, most drafts, I'll leave him alone. I think there's way too much, way too many other guys I'll probably be interested in there. You know, wide receivers that I know I can get every week. But occasionally, he'll drop to the seventh round. So uh, that's when I'll take the discount, and then I will look to take Ramondre in the ninth or the tenth, and 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 kind of um, double down on the discount that I got on the first guy. That's kind mm-hmm. of how I do it. And then with volume, you end up you end up with you know six, seven, eight percent of a guy, maybe nine or ten, but you've got it at a discount, and then you've supercharged it so that you have uh, some really nice upside as well. So. Uh, that's kind of how I play it. If you want to look at um, something that I do, um, anybody else on this team? Let's look at your notes. Twenty seventh, you mentioned a neutral pass rate. Thirty first, Mac Jones obviously throws more when they're behind. Second most points at position of course, fantasy. Yeah, so that's a reason to look at taking both of these guys. Is the Patriots? the only team that collectively scored more fantasy points at running back than the Patriots this season were the Colts, which obviously had Jonathan Taylor. So behind them, no other team had more running back points than the Patriots. I could see them adding a, a, a replace a long-term James White replacement, mm-hmm. whether it's somebody that they look at on the free agent market 
or somebody who uh, I, I do think that I don't think they're going to want to give Brandon Bolden 41 receptions next year. Yes, I think Brandon Bolden is always a fallback for them. By the way, I checked underdog ADP, and right now Damian Harris is at the 5-6 turn, and Ramondre Stevenson is mid-round 8. So right where you thought they would be. Now, I think you need to drop the, um, on FFPC because tight ends go earlier. Mm-hmm. All right, so I think that does it for the Patriots. So let's go to the uh, Dolphins. Nine and eight, new coach coming in. All right, so Tua Tunga Mybalza took a lot of heat. Only 388, but he was hurt. Uh, 67.8 completion percentage, which is very good. 16 and 10, which isn't too bad. Yards per attempt, 6.8. Yards per catch, 10.1. He took 20 sacks. Uh, What are your thoughts on Tua? I think he would look better if he didn't uh, get drafted right ahead of Justin Herbert. But uh, overall, that's a pet peeve of mine because nobody was drafting Herbert over Justin Herbert. I was, I was team Herbert that year. I I have to say, and the receipts are are on draftsharks.com. Oh, I believe you. I just, I just didn't follow you enough. All right. Um, Tua, though, I, my take on Tua is that he's just going to be a neutral fantasy quarterback going forward. I don't think, even real life-wise, I don't see him raising or lowering the level significantly of the receivers that are working with him. He's kind of, I don't know, Kirk Cousins-ish, I guess, but with with likely less completion rates, maybe a little bit less than Kirk Cousins for me. Maybe Derek Carr. So this is a team where I think, you know, when you look at the attempts – Gaskin got 173, but I don't think he would have even had that many if you hadn't had injuries to Malcolm Brown. Yeah, I, I, I here's a spot where I think you're going to see a, a, a running back added, maybe two. Yeah, I mean, we saw it late in the year. They were hurting so much. They wanted another option at running back so much that they wound up giving Duke Johnson 14 carries a game. He led the team. He only played five games, but he led the team in carries per game for the year. It was frustrating. I didn't draft much of Duke. I did in some 28-round best balls. Mm-hmm. I, and all year, I, I saw him go here and not get a chance in there. I mean, for years, we've been saying that Duke Johnson is better than just a third down back. And then he couldn't even get a job as a third down back. Um, and even there, he only got five targets on the year. Gaskin mm-hmm. got 63. I could see Gaskin being there then. I could see them drafting like um, – um, you know, a guy who who's going or 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 free agency them bringing in somebody to be a first and second down back. It looks like they believe in him. Uh, again, we got a coaching change coming, but sixty three targets is is pretty good. For yeah, a part-time I mean, he's, guy. Yeah, he's going to be a guy who's part of it. But I, I think that we got to see over the second half of last year where they, I, you know, it's going to be new leadership. So we'll see what new guys think, but. I think that's where he belongs. I, I think he's much more this past season and second half Miles Gaskin than he was 2020 Miles Gaskin. All right. So they brought in Will Fuller. Um, we didn't do that. Let me just go and look at the free agents. Yeah, Will Fuller's on a one-year deal. I think that Devontae Parker signed beyond this season. And Mike Giusecki, I believe, has uh, his, is hitting unrestricted free agency in March. Yep. Fuller. 
Albert Wilson, Matt Collins, and Preston Williams, and Gesicki. No, Gesicki's UFA. All the more you're going to – this is a team I don't see Parker, but, I mean, can the guys stay on the field? Mm-hmm. And then you look at overall salary cap. They they do have some room, $67 million. So I would not be shocked to see them uh, be pretty active with some – Trying to give uh, Jalen Waddle some friends. Mm-hmm. 140 targets for Waddle as a rookie. Only thing is concerning is this: 9.8 yards per reception. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would like to think that that extends going forward. Um, you know, even if it stays in that range, I think we'll take a more a more electric Cole Beasley there. 24.3 percent target share for Jalen Waddle, roughly in his rookie year, I think is impressive, especially given that they worked with a couple of different quarterbacks. So he did better as a rookie than I was expecting him to do. I think it's encouraging for his future. Devontae Parker, nobody's going to like him, which makes him more attractive as a a draft uh, target, not target necessarily, but somebody to mix in because he's going to be in the double digit rounds because nobody's excited to draft him, but 7.3 targets per game each of the past two years. So even when he misses time, when he's on the field, He'll probably get the ball a decent amount, especially with all the guys that are set to leave town. He's a guy that I I, I start being interested in. The, that's the kind of guy that, you know, there normally are rookies with a lot of upside in that range, twelfth where he went last year, 12th to 14th round. If you start finding him in the 15th to 18th round of drafts, yeah, that's when, the you know, those guys who no one wants to draft when they end up down there, that's when I will take them. Jalen Waddle going ahead of DeAndre Hopkins and Keenan Allen and T. Higgins and Mike Evans. That's a little rich for my blood. Yeah, I think Waddle's probably going to be going a little bit early for me to be, you know, hyper interested. Yeah, I had a lot of them this year. And I do think he has the ability to be a downfield threat and be more than a 9.8 yards per catch guy. But I don't know that he could do it with Tua. Yeah, I mean, Tyree Kill was that, was the short-range guy in his rookie year. And I think Jalen Waddle's probably closer to Tyree Kill than anybody else that we've seen come in since Tyree Kill. But I agree with you. He doesn't have Patrick Mahomes. So I think that's going to keep him from totally unlocking that ultimate ceiling. And, and, you know, the ultimate thing about when you draft a guy and when you fade a guy is, you know, what's the chance that he crushes you? Right. The only way he crushes you is if he crushes DK Metcalf and DeAndre Hopkins and Keenan Allen and T. Higgins and Mike Evans. Right. If he, you know, if he ends up, you know, scoring 300 points when they score 200, then you're then then it it really hurts you. Mm -hmm. If he if he scores 300 points and they score 270. The fact that you faded him um, is not going to matter. So um, my initial thought anyway is that Waddle is going a little high for my blood. It's kind of, uh, you know, he's kind of the cool toy that you should have had last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm leaning away from mid-third round Waddle. Yeah, I mean, if I see him in the fourth, fifth, absolutely. But DeAndre Hopkins in the fourth, fifth round, that's... uh, well, he's not quite there yet, but uh, in FFPC, if he's going 34 here, 
I think you will see him in the fourth round in the FFPC. Especially in the early tournament that's going to be starting up soon. Yep. I asked for that, and I think that's why they did it. But <laughs> uh, Because at first, when I mentioned it to him, he goes, send out a poll and let's see what happens with it. I mean, they still people still call their rankings this time of year way too early rankings. And obviously, everything's going to change, but it's not way too early anymore. People are drafting. All right. Anything else on the Dolphins? I don't think so. They have some questions to answer with guys that are coming up on free agency and what they're going to add and who's going to be the coach. Yep. Yep. I don't see any advantage in taking some of these guys. I do think Mike Gesicki's in interesting. I want to look at his ADP because the, you know, not knowing where he's going. Yeah. See, he's going um, 108th. So that is ninth round. That's still not great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Going ahead of Noah Fant, Zach Ertz, and Hunter Henry and Higby. So, I mean, he's going right around where he should go, even though you don't know where he's going to end up. Yeah, so we, were doing, not... we were doing some of these 2022 drafts with the, me and Draft Sharks guys, and I think Gusecki's kind of in the range where he belongs. And if he slips, you know, if I if I pass on a tight end and a few other guys go, I'm interested. Because I, I think he'll land somewhere with somebody that wants him, whether it's Miami or somewhere else. But there's nothing special in his value ahead of Noah Fant or even Hunter Henry. Yeah, and I will not be drafting any Rob Gronkowski mm -hmm. until I hear he's coming back. Agreed. Um, th there's no no point in taking him in the eighth, ninth round. Again, the question you have to ask yourself is what do you what do you lose if you don't take him? And I I don't know that he can stay healthy enough to crush you versus the chance he doesn't play at all. All right. I like Robert Sala. Mm -hmm. um, I think they're going in the right direction. I think they played really hard for him. And I think that's what you really look for in a head coach. Mm -hmm. And they've got plenty of draft capital. And they let's look at their cap. They've got plenty of cap room, $47 million. And let's look at their free agents. Crowder's gone. Keel and Cole. Berrios. I think that Berrios, they might, they might try and resign Berrios. Mm -hmm. I also wouldn't be shocked to see him end up in New England um, yeah. or wherever Tom Brady goes. He's, he's like, and I've been saying it earlier. He's, he's got that, that skill set that you look for, um, for that Edelman role. Uh, all right. What are your thoughts on Zach Wilson? I mean, I've got people on my timeline saying he's already a bust, give up on him. 55% uh, uh, completion percentage. Um, he did cut out the turnovers late, which I thought was, uh, you know, but only nine touchdowns. I mean, I didn't like the pick to begin with at, at yeah. number two. I, I liked other people more, but, you know, he was the guy who went. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm starting out opposed to him, too. I thought Justin Fields should have been the second quarterback taken in that draft. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm also not going to call him a bust already. I think it's kind of silly to call anybody a bust. I mean, if he's a bust already, then Trevor Lawrence is looking busty as well. So that said, I tend to think of it in fantasy terms more than reality, and I don't think that the upside for Zach Wilson is 
going to be that significant a fantasy factor either for him or for his receivers. He's got the arm and he's got some mobility to surprise. So, you know, I'm not saying unload him if you have him in a super flex league, uh, in a dynasty league, in whatever format, but not somebody that I'm excited about down the road. I do think he could be fine, but I'm not excited. Michael Carter, 143. I mean, this is about what, you know, what I thought he would get. 147 attempts, 36 receptions, 9.0 yards per reception is not bad for a running back. Um, 4.3 yards per uh, carry. And what I tend to look with with yards per attempt is more how does it compare to the rest of the players on the team, Mm -hmm. right? I'm not concerned if a guy is 3.7, if someone, if the whole team's 3.5, you know, if I see a guy, I'd rather have a guy who's 3.9 versus a bunch of 3.5s than a guy who's 4.7, but the team average is over five. Mm -hmm. Right. But the eye test, I just wasn't that impressed with Michael Carter. What are your thoughts on him? I I think he's fine. And that's what I thought heading in. And that's what I think he's going to be going forward. He's RB 23 right now. And I wonder if he's going to stay there because it's, it's kind of a tough time to really gauge running back because we have none of the rookies in there because we have lots of questions to answer outside of the top. I don't know, 20, I guess even down beyond him, there are still questions to answer. So if he sticks at RB23, he's going to be somebody that I'm not I'm not aggressively adding, but also not somebody that I'm totally avoiding. I think he'll wind up being the top fantasy back for the Jets. I just don't think he's going to end up being a difference maker across fantasy formats. I think they're going to bring in someone else. I wouldn't be shocked if it was Spiller, um, who, I th- who, who reminds me of a young Tevin Coleman with even more, uh, more uh, acceleration. Uh, good hands. I know that Carter's supposed to be that third down back, so they could go with a different type of running back. But I clearly see them adding another running back. Mm-hmm. Um, Ty Johnson did nothing. I, you know, did we look over here at the yeah, running for sure. back? I think the upside on Michael Carter is that he settles in as Chase Edmonds, a healthier Chase Edmonds, but Chase Edmonds. Yeah, and and I don't see that kind of burst that I I see with Chase Edmonds. I guess is my point. Um, he's fine. I mean, he's right. he's he's fine, but I just don't see the explosive upside that I like to see from a guy who's a little bit undersized. Mm-hmm. That was my takeaway. Am I crazy? I don't think so. I mean, he he's fine. I'm not. If somebody tells yeah. you they love Michael Carter, he's I'm fine. Not. But he's a, he's a you know I I liked him coming out. But all right, let's look at targets. And it was such a mess because no one played. Mm-hmm. Yards per reception. So this is really interesting. So Elijah Moore, 12.5. Corey Davis, 14.5. I mean, I kind of like that from Elijah Moore. From a, for, you know, 43 receptions, 538. Yeah, so, so over his final five games. Mm-hmm. What's that? Oh, I was going to say over his final five games, he really started consistently playing more often. And over that span, which of course ended in week 13 with his injury, he averaged nine targets, 5.6 catches, 78.4 yards per game, and a touchdown per game over that span. 22.5% target share. So we'd like to see a little bit more than that going forward. But I think overall, you know, that stretch 
is encouraging. Now, the downside for his fantasy outlook is that many of us were excited about Elijah Moore heading in. So we were all looking for reasons to get excited. So you're not going to get him at a value at any point in draft season, as I can as I can see you're looking up right now. Yeah, so ADP of 61. And then let's see where Corey Davis is. See, I would much rather draft Corey Davis at right. 122. Yeah. That's a cold hard I truth think- in this draft game. You can love Elijah Moore, but if everybody else loves him, you got to not love him as much. Yeah, and and I think he's fine, right? Like he's going around Pittman, Cooper, Devonta mm-hmm. Smith, and Michael Thomas and Brandon Cooks. I mean, I kind of like him less than a bunch of those guys. Mm-hmm. He's not somebody that I want to totally avoid, even in that range. No, I do think that there's explosive upside still, but I do too. He's, he's also not somebody that I can aggressively chase in that range because. You know, I agree. He could very easily next year could be Devontae Smith's year more than it's Elijah Moore's year. Or maybe Michael Thomas goes back to being Michael Thomas or maybe Brandon Cooks just continues to be Brandon Cooks. And all those guys end up looking better than Elijah Moore for fantasy this season. So here, he, here's the thing. His catch percentage was 55.8. Corey Davis, who had more yards per reception, 57.6. Uh, 70% for the slot guys. So, you know, I was talking about this. Zach Wilson at 55. I don't expect him to get much more than 60 next year, if that. Mm -hmm. Right? I You normally don't see a huge bump in the second year. You see, you do see a better completion percentage. But you could also see them playing from behind less if they do the right thing and and put, uh, you know, they need to put some weapons on that defense. Mm Mm-hmm. Any any sleepers here that we might? No, I don't think so. No, they definitely need a tight end. That whole the uh, the, the, the Jets are definitely another year away. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, would you be shocked if they were six and ten, uh, six and eleven next year instead of four and whatever? No, I think that's reasonable. And then you know maybe there's a little upside beyond that, depending on what they do and what kind of leap Zach Wilson makes. We'll see. I mean, you know, he's talented, but. Yeah, not a not a team that I'm excited about for real or fantasy purposes. All right, so um, we studied the AFC East. Any final comments? I, I think that's it. I mean, it's not it's not an overly exciting division right now for fantasy, but there is room for some big changes to be made. So, you know, we'll see what the Jets add. We'll see what the Dolphins decide to do with their pass catchers. We'll see where these rookie quarterbacks go. I, I, my, my big thing is to not assume that I know too much about what's going to happen next year with these rookies or with anybody that did something different than what I expected this past season. Thank you. I, I found that very helpful. Yeah, I mean, I always like talking through and thinking through this stuff, so I appreciate you having me on to talk about it. Yep, and we'll probably get another one in this week and get to another division. Sounds good. All right, that's going to do it, guys. Thank you for um, either coming along or not coming along and watching. But uh, we are determined to be better next year. And you're welcome to come along. Have a good day. I'll be there when you get it right.